Welcome to Programmatics, a podcast about programmatic advertising. Each week, we dig into the magic and mysteries of the ad ops industry. I'm your host, Alicia Rosen. Modern marketers are constantly battling an evolving consumer landscape. Today's consumers expect more from their brands, and in the same vein, expect personalized messaging and conversations between themselves and the brands they trust. Joining us today is Rachel Taxman, a senior account executive at the Wall Street Journal, bringing us insight into how she connects with some of the world's largest tech brands to tell their story. Today we discuss how brands can survive the new decade, from the future of brand strategy to the state of brand suitability and the importance of practicing social listening. So thanks for joining me today. Thank you. Cool. So do you want to start off by sharing a bit about your experience and how you actually got started in the industry? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I think always at a young age, I was interested in the media world and just how it operates, how it functions. Um, And I knew that I wanted to do business also. I wanted to be on the business side of things. So when I went to college and I was trying to figure out what where's my career going? What kind of classes do I want to take? I met with a counselor and she was telling me all about, um, I went to Indiana University and she's telling me all about the uh, programs within the uh, telecommunications department, which had a strong focus on business marketing and media. So I said, that sounds absolutely perfect. So that um, is where I focused my degree in at Indiana. And while I was at Indiana University, I did an internship with the national sales director at NBC in Chicago um, that was focused on TV and got to see how he um, created deals, how uh, commercials were built, how um, commercials were built around programming, how they did audience segmentation. And I just found it very fascinating. I liked the sales side of it, sort of that hustle. Um, So after college, I started applying for jobs and I immediately got a job at the Chicago Tribune working as uh, inside sales and grew within the company into outside sales. Um, I was actually the youngest outside sales uh, team member at the Chicago Tribune at the time. And then I decided I wanted to move to New York. So uh, I had emailed the president of the Huffington Post at, the, at that time when it was still a startup company, um, told them I'm coming to New York, I wanna work for his brand, I wanna work for the Huffington Post, immediately had an interview, immediately was hired, packed everything up, moved to New York City and started my career here, um, and then went on to work at Huffington Post. We were bought by AOL. I thought that transition was very interesting because I went from working on a one single brand to then working with a network of brands and really got to learn and understand how networks operate. And it's, it's a different model. It's a different business, but one that's tremendously important in our industry, which I'm sure we'll get into more. And then um, from there, I went on to CBS interactive. And then from CBS interactive, I came over to the wall street journal. Um, And one thing I can just plug is that a lot of the brands that I've worked with, um, sometimes when you're in this industry, you sort of get, uh, they want to know what relationships you have. So they'll stick 
you'll stick with uh, the industries where you have a lot of relationships. So the tech industries where I've had a lot of relationships, I've had an opportunity to work with Microsoft, with Verizon, with Samsung, with Lenovo, with Dell. Um, so now at the Wall Street Journal, I'm, I'm also covering those accounts. Uh, not all of them, but some of them. Interesting. So you know, now as a senior account executive, you connect with these major brands to share their stories. So do you want to share with us, you know, a bit about how you collaborate with them? Yeah, great. I can, um, you know, I, I'll share with you just overall um, how collaboration works because it, it's similar um, whether I'm at, you know, the Huffington Post or Wall Street Journal. I think it, it can be very similar, but I think one of the key the key things is, is that you want to be close with both the ad agency and with the client side. And there's nobody that is not important within both industries. You always want to be talking to new people so you can learn um, new stuff, right? It's all about education because the more you know, the more you can help the brand and you can uncover opportunity. And there's always going to be opportunity or there's always going to be things that you learn that may not be helpful for you or they may tell you something. And you're like, you know, based on what we do at this company, we can't solve for that problem. But let me keep learning about who you are and what your challenges are and see where we can collaborate together. I think it's always really important to understand as, as a product um, and owning a product and selling a product, what your strengths and weaknesses are, because then you can better solve for your clients' problems. Um, so the way that it typically works is I'll connect with um, usually an ad agency or I'll connect with the marketing directors at a brand and we'll go, I'll do my research ahead of time, try to understand what I know about their company and what I think would be right the right fit for them always going in with lots of questions so I can learn and understand. And then once, um, and then usually we'll do like a sales pitch to pitch them some new ideas, new products. And then there's the RFP process if they find that we are the right fit for them um, for a certain challenge, marketing challenge that they're trying to solve for. Um, and then in that response process, I'll work with my teams um, across the company. So it could be a data science person, it could be um, a product marketing person, or it could be our um, just, you know, marketing strategy team, or it could be a content, um, not editorial content, but we have like a, at a lot of the brands that I've worked with, we have um, custom content arms. So I'll work with them to figure out how can we best solve for this problem. Um, content and events have seemed to be a big area of focus. And then data has also been a big area of focus, particularly with like hyper-targeting, making sure that we're honing in on specific audiences. And we'll put together um, a response and send it back to the client. They'll review it. And then you go through a series of negotiations. Oftentimes you'll set up times to walk the client through the recommendation. And then eventually it goes into hopefully, hopefully they like it enough. And then it goes into uh, the sale and then it becomes into implementation, um, which is just equally as important because now you have to track the program to make sure that it is performing well. So you're not done once it, you have the deal is sold on the dotted line, you then have to make sure that it's actually performing because your goal is to have repeat business. You know, this is really important because brands and their publisher partners want to feel that their partnership is secure, you know, stable and really strong. And since the start of the year, obviously, everything has been completely flipped upside down and brands are really increasingly conscious 
of brand reputation, you know, messaging and that feeling of safety. So maybe you can shed some light on this pressure and how it's affecting brands today and what changes you've seen because of it. Yeah, this is a great question. And it's one that is even more present today with a lot of what we're hearing, um, particularly here in the United States um, in terms of social justice. But brands are under tremendous pressure, not only from their shareholders, but also from um, the changing needs of their consumers and from societal interests and what consumers deem as moral or not moral. I mean, they are under a lot of pressure to make sure that they're in line with what, what consumers want. Um, and consumers, their spending has changed. So in the past, let's say 10 years ago, you may buy a product just because it's something you grew up with. So it's, 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 um, you know, you're aware of it, you like it, you know it, you're comfortable with it, or people that you know like it, so you may just buy that product. You don't know too much about the company, nor do you really care. You just care about the utility of the product. That is completely different now. Now people want to know, who is this company? If I'm investing in you, I want you to be investing in me, and that means investing in the goals and morals that I have. Mm -hmm. So if I'm making now, if you look at a lot of millennials, if they're making decisions to invest in a brand, they may want to know, is this brand eco-friendly? Are they using um, non-GMO products? Um, do they care about charity? Do they care about the environment? Um, do they care about equal pay? Who who works at this company? Do I like the leaders of this company? So brands are under much heavier investigation and there's much more coming to light about these brands. They can't hide anymore. So they're under a lot of pressure and they have to um, identify themselves more to society because like I said, people are making that decision on if I'm going to represent you in society and I may wear something that says your brand on it, I want to stick by, I want to know that this, this brand aligns with who I am as a person. So that has changed. Um, and now brands, when it comes to advertising, we see that has tremendously changed. So now brands um, are really focused on ESG. So they're talking a lot about, how, about their corporate responsibility. Um, they are also making sure that sites that they're aligning with um, own up to, or align with their values. So a big thing that's hitting the news right now that we're seeing is a lot of brands are pulling away from big social media companies like Facebook and Twitter and Instagram because they're saying those brands are allowing racist content or brand, content that may, they may deem racist or those brands are allowing um, content that doesn't align with who we are as a brand and we're scared that our brand's going to be positioned next to content that we don't um, we don't like. So therefore, until these companies can monetize and control the content that they have on their site, we are not going to advertise there. YouTube has built out, I mean, this happened a while ago, but YouTube built out a lot of um, channels just specifically for certain types of content. They have specific channels that are geared towards children. So more and more brands um, are defining who they're going to advertise with based on, again, based on those publishers or those technology platforms and what goals and what types of content they have. Yeah, and I think uh, you hit the nail on the head, basically. 
by saying that brands are trying to make sure that, you know, they're aligning truly every part of their business with their core message and the policies that they stand for and the morals that they stand for. So, you know, what other wider trends are you seeing in the industry that you can shed some light on? I would say um, another big trend that we're seeing is the shift to first party data. Um, and I think that also goes along with a few things. It goes along with brands want to make sure that where they're spending their money accounts, that they're hitting their target audience and there's no waste. Um, it also goes on the fact that, um, you know, brands want to make sure that they're, they're living in a, a, a safer environment, that they're not sort of targeting anybody and everybody. So now we're seeing a lot of brands, this was just announced um, last week or maybe it was two weeks ago, but the New York Times has really honed in on their first party data. So they're building out, I think over 45 audience segments based on their first party data. And that's based on reader and subscriber data. And they're categorizing this, their data based on age, income, business, demo, um, interests. And I know that consumers might be scared of this, but I, I say to consumers, I don't think you should be scared of this. I think you should be happy about this because you want to be served something that is relevant to you. You don't want to be served an ad that is of zero purpose. If you're on a website, you want everything on that website to be catered towards your needs. It's all about customization now. So this is a way that brands by using this, this, um, this first party data to get closer to their audience can customize an experience for their audience. And that means customizing, you know, giving them certain types of content that they know they would be more interested in all the way down to serving them ads that they know that they, they would be more interested in, which ultimately helps us helps our economy, right? Like if I'm served ads for brands that I may have not known about, but are in my interest that I would, um, you know, be more prone to potentially spend there. And then that brand would then make more money, create more jobs. And then it, you know, it, it, there's an evolution there. So first party data, I think is a really big thing. Um, a lot of brands have trouble with this. You know, some brands have to be very protective of their first party data. So now they're really trying to navigate how can they use this, but still, uh, be careful with it. Um, they don't maybe want to sell it out to third parties. So that's a big, big trend that we're seeing. And I think you'll see a lot more of, and I think with that, um, that is showing us that brands in terms of where they're deciding to advertisers, they're going fewer sites. Um, they're shifting away from these larger networks for the two reasons that we said they one want to get, you know, deeper on that first party and more segmented data. And two is that they want to make sure that they're aligning with uh, content that is relevant and that follows their values. So they're less now prone to going with these bigger networks or, you know, bigger social media companies. And they're, they're honing in on smaller sites or more premium sites. Yeah, you hit a lot of, you know, really interesting points about, you know, audience segmentation and audience targeting. And I think we'll start to see, you know, a lot of changes with a lot of brands, you know, attempting to be GDPR compliant and yeah. CCPA, you know, hopefully, you know, there'll maybe be a federal rule that will come down. But, you know, in the meantime, we're just, you know, we're waiting. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, and sometimes on my end, it can create some challenges. Um, I was working on a program where a client was doing a global campaign and they wanted to do audience targeting, um, but you know they wanted to hone in on specific countries and we, were, we said to them, well, if we go into those specific countries, we can't layer in any audience targeting. So we would just have to run it you know, open. Um, so that's something you have to be aware of. So yeah, and that, but here in the US, we can layer in that art, audience targeting. So there's definitely, uh, there's a lot of confusion out there. Yeah, so you just pointed out that that was, you know, uh, one of your bigger challenges that you're actually facing today, kind of with the with the changing landscapes. Can you think of anything else that's, you know, pretty significant as one of the challenges, you know, you're seeing today? I think, I mean, that's a big challenge that we're seeing. Um, I think another, I wouldn't say it's a super big challenge, but I would say it's an opportunity. Um, mm-hmm. I would say that we're seeing a shift. Um, and we've been seeing this for a while, um, but I think it's even more present now where content is super important and brands want to create their own content. They want to create their own story, but they have to figure out ways in which they can do that, but sound reputable and not sound too biased and not have it sound just like that, you know, that sort of old term advertorial, but where they're being subjective. So, um, you know, where I am at the Wall Street Journal, we have been having a lot of focus on uh, custom content and building out different types of content and different types of ways audience can engage with a brand. So that may be videos with thought leadership, that may be um, articles, that may be um, infographics, it might be a quiz, it might be something just, you know, a way for somebody to engage directly within an ad unit. So I think brands are starting to get a lot more creative. It's not just about that bottom funnel, but it's about how are they bringing and make, creating more awareness through a story and through content, which as we talked about earlier is super important because people wanna know who are you as a brand? How can I better connect with you? I don't wanna just know you off of a shelf, but I wanna know who you are and what you stand by. So content is really a great way to help brands do that. And another great way um, and that we're seeing, and now this is definitely a major challenge, was events. Um, Events has grown grown tremendously in our industry because it allows um, marketers and it allows um, C-suite to connect with consumers and also connect with business decision makers. Now that's changed, um, that everything's gone virtual. So brands are really trying to figure out what is, how do, how do we define that? How do we build that out? What does that look like? Um, I can tell you the Wall Street Journal, we've pivoted very quickly, definitely had some bumps in the road as I think everybody has as they're trying to quickly learn what are the right platforms to use? Is it Zoom? Is it Google Hangouts? Is it you know Microsoft Teams? <laughs> you know, kind of all over the place. Um, so, and now you're dealing with really relying on technology. Um, I would say another thing is, you know, with, as everybody's sort of working from home, security is super important. We see a lot of um, tech brands focused on cybersecurity. You're, um, you know, now we're all tapping into our own personal at-home networks and we may fall off our work network and be on our personal network. So what does that look like for our data? And the data from our company, um, can it be stolen? Uh, it's easily, you know, somebody can easily take it. So um, how are we keeping brands safe? Um, how are we keeping our data safe as people are working from home? So there's a lot happening right now that uh, brands are 
responding to. And then also just as we see what's going on in society. I mean, you saw a million and one brands, something happened. I, I, I find everybody's being reactionary. Mm-hmm. So uh, coronavirus happened, which of course that one you have to be reactionary to, but, but maybe not, but maybe not. Like we knew of a, that possibilities of pandemics, but we never heard of anybody talking about what do we do in the event of. And now we see we, we are in, we hit a pandemic and then every brand was out there basically saying what they're doing to make their com- customers feel safe, which is great, but it's reactionary. And now also with the new Black Lives Matter um, and all the social unjust after um, George Floyd's death, now brands are saying, oh, we, we stand with, um, with George Floyd, we stand with Black Lives Matter, we stand with equality. But sometimes those brands, if you look at the inner workings of their companies, they don't, but that's reactionary. Why weren't they doing that before? So there's a lot of scrutiny coming down, but I personally say, you know what, even if you're going to be reactionary, at least you're doing something and it's, it has to start somewhere. Yeah, I definitely agree. This reactionary marketing or, you know, they call it reactive marketing is here for the long term. And we're truly starting to see this reactive marketing from almost all brands, from the established global brands, you know, in every industry to smaller brands that are just starting out. But no matter their size, they have their eyes and ears, you know, wide open and are taking the time to actually practice and dedicate energy to social listening and really using this social listening to tailor their content to the trending and current topics that their consumers care about. Like we said, consumers aren't tolerating brands which are tone deaf, you know, or insensitive, which is setting the bar a lot higher for these brands you know, shaking up traditional marketing and advertising. This was, you know, so interesting. And it was so great to, you know, peer into your looking glass and hear your take on what's going on in the industry um, and in the way brands are having to pivot and adapt to the changes in society, you know, with the consumer demands and the new privacy regulations. So thanks so much for joining me today and sharing your insight with us. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And, um, you know, should if there's any follow-up questions from the audience, I'm more than happy to, to take those questions. So please have them, you know, reach out to me directly. Uh, but thank you so much. Of course. Thanks for joining us today on Programmatics. I hope you loved today's show. Be sure to check out www.geoedge.com to see how we can empower your ad ops team. Bye for now.